0: Well, I want to add my welcome to Christ's journey to all that are gathering together in the house today, and from our house to your house, those of you that are joining us on Church Online today, we pray God's Spirit would be uplifting to you, and even as He speaks the truth to the point of need that we all bring to this place. And especially if you're a first-time guest, we are thankful that you have chosen to come, and you honor us by your presence, and we invite God to meet you in the place that let, will let you know that you are known, you are loved, and that he has a great plan for you. Speaking of great plans, um, God has a magnificent plan for us. By the way, if you're wondering why I'm seated, um, I picked up a bit of a foot injury yesterday, and so I'm telling you this, I hope it doesn't bother you because it's not gonna bother me. <laughs> what, what I've got to give you is something that I want to bring full-hearted to you. And that's why I said God has a magnificent thing in store for us today. And each week we have said that we would begin our messages by a reading together of this vision in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. So that's what we're going to do today. I want us to uh, turn our attention to the center screen. Are Are we going to do this, James? Are you up there? There you are. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Do you remember this text? Here we go. Take a breath. We're going to read it out loud together. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen, amen. We are those generations, and we are part of the forever and ever that was predicted in that plan. God is great. God has glorious plans for his people now and forever. And the Bible that we study, the Bible that we open, is like our time machine that invites us to go to get in it and go back to the future of what his plan for glory is now. And the now we are in today is answering this issue, when you just can't see your way. When you just can't see your way. Something bad has happened, and, uh, and it's going from bad to worse, and you just can't see your way forward. You ever been there? Maybe somebody's there now, may that that be the reason God has brought you here today, is to hear some hope and encouragement from this. You just can't see a way forward. Second Kings chapter four. We're picking it up in the ministry of Elisha, now walking in the double portion spirit of Elijah. It's where we left off last time we were together. And he walks into two scenes of desperation. Two stories of two women. One's a single mom. Has two sons recently widowed by the death of her preacher husband and has no way to pay her bills. The bills are due, the creditors coming and planning to take payment by taking her boys away as his slaves. Second Kings chapter 4. Second story, I mean, she's in dire straits. Second story, the other story is about the wife of a wealthy man. Pendulum swings to the other side. Scholars imagine her to be older and elegant and noble and she's generous and she's given to hospitality. But one problem that her wealth has never been able to solve for her is infidel- infertility, excuse me. Yeah, I was reminded after the beginning of the first session, Bill, I think you said infidelity. The problem she had that we're told she had was infertility. Unfortunately, we're familiar with both problems in our world, aren't we? Infertility. She has no son. She has no legacy. She's got all this money, but she has no future faith, family. And that lack, as we're about to see, is going to take her on a roller coaster of tragedy. So we got two women. They're both vulnerable, and they're both in a spot where they just can't see a way forward. Chapter 4, verse 1, good people that have bad things happening. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband's dead. And you know he was, he revered the Lord. Now the company of prophets was like a seminary of their day, it was a discipleship of spiritual leaders and her husband was part of it and she says, and he was the real deal. He wasn't faking it, he revered the Lord. And yet, he's dead. He's a good man, but something bad happened, and now it's getting worse because in his absence, though she's a widow, that's where the heartbreak began, her bills that are coming due, her husband was covering, and now he's gone, and the cost of living isn't. The bills are still coming in. She's broke. Next verse, creditors coming to take my boys as his slaves. She's pouring her heart out to Elisha. Indentured servitude is how they paid their debts in those days. So she's heartbroken, she's poverty-stricken, she's newly widowed, and she's a single mother, and her kids are about to be taken away. How could it get any worse than that? She just can't see a way out. So what does she do? She cries out to the man of God, Elisha, double portion of Elijah's spirit on Elisha. And he says, well, what do you have in your house? Nothing, she says i thinking maybe she already sold off the furniture, maybe she sold the housewares, stuff that she never thought she would part with, those sentimental attachments, but now she has liquidated everything to try to stay, to save the house. Single moms can get very industrious, very creative. I've heard stories of exiles in Miami who, whose mothers have sacrificed in deep and costly ways so that their kids can have a future. Maybe you've got a story like that in your family. It's the story we're looking at. Elisha says, what do you have? What do you have? It's like God starts right where we are, doesn't he? He starts with what we have, not with what we don't have. Starts with what we have. And then her quick review, she's running through it. She's going through every cabinet, every room. She says, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Oh, wait. And then she remembers there's this tiny little bit of oil they still have that they haven't used yet. And Elisha says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go around, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. And then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and then pour oil into the jars. And as each is filled, then set it aside. And I'm thinking, was that a shock to her? I mean, where would he get an idea like that? I mean, how is that going to work? Didn't he hear me just tell him that I only have a little bit of oil? And now you want me to go to every neighbor in the neighborhood and ask for jars, empty jars? And I'm going to go to their house and I'm going to the boys are going to say, can we have all your empty jars? And what are they going to say? What do you want them for? And now everybody in the neighborhood is going to know my business because I'm going to fill up the jars, right, and we, that we only have a little oil left? I mean, what, what's going on here? And that's the kind of stuff that, uh, that goes on in my head. You know, they're going to want to know, and what am I going to say? But we're not told that any of that was in her head. We're not told if she felt the need to unload the whole story everywhere she went as they gathered jars. We're not told if she, like Mary, decided that she would just treasure it in her heart. And, like, keep the story sacred where the prophet spoke it. But what we're told is she went. And then she did what the man of God instructed. She gathered empty pots. (laughs) They gathered empty pots and not just a few. And then when they got the path, it says she shut the door behind her and her sons. And then this happened. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. She took that little bit of oil. She kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, then she said to her son, bring me another one. And he said, well, (laughs) there's not a jar left. And then the story says, then the oil stopped flowing. See, it wasn't until the empties, they stopped bringing them that the oil stopped filling them. And and then she went and she told the man of God and he said, okay, well now go and sell the oil that you got and uh, pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on what's left. There's going to be enough profit in the margin to not only pay your bills, but give you some cushion. And uh, all because what did she do? Here's what I'm taking away. Start where you are. Use what you have. Seek God's wisdom and then do what he says. That's like, this is the story right here. How do I, if I'm in a place where I just can't see what my way forward is, and all I need is a miracle, how do I get there from here? He said, well, start where you are, use what you have, seek God's wisdom, and then do what he says. Maybe that's for you today. And that's why the story's in here, is so that you would pay attention in a new way. Why? Because when you just can't see your way, you trust God, live by faith, not by sight. When you can't see your way, you learn to live by sight. And you just keep bringing your empties and you let God fill them as he will. And then from that fullness, then you pay your bills and from the cushion, from the money for the future, you set... God set her up in a little small business. It's like this entrepreneurial olive oil venture, businesswoman, ninth century B.C., And the Lord set her up. He was her angel donor and got the thing moving. And now she's supposed to keep it going and manage that account for the benefit of her family. She didn't see it. She thought she had nothing. She didn't see it. But God wanted to bring his vision into hers. Reminds me of the story of Desert Pete. I've told it before. Bears repeating here. This guy is in the desert. He's lost in the desert. He's dying of thirst, and he finds an old water pump, you know? (laughs) It's like stark, dusty. Next to the pump was a small jar full of water with a note that explained that uh, there was water here to be had at the base of this pump, but to get it, you've got to prime the pump, and that's what the water's for, which created his dilemma. He's been out for a long time. His throat's dry. He's got some water right there. Am I going to drink the water and at least get a few swallows into my dry throat? Or am I going to pour the only water I've got down a dry pump because of a note that I read? The Dilemma of Desert Peat. And the note says this, have faith, my friend. There's water down below, but you've got to give until you get it. And he decides to take the risk. You can feel that, right? And he starts hearing the water bubbling and fresh water flows out, slakes his thirst. And then the note, signed Desert Pete, says this, please remember to be sure and fill the jar so the next thirsty traveler can have some too. Start where you are. Use what you have. Seek God's wisdom and then do what he says. What does God say? There's a miracle promise tied to your generosity. That's, the, that's the, an undertow of the story here, right? Jesus said, ask and you shall receive that God cares about what you receive. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you, good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, Luke 6, 38. So when you take the risk of generosity, then God responds with blessing. You conquer the fear of scarcity with the faith of generosity. And time out here. This is not the beginning of a giving campaign. There will not be an offering taken. (laughs) I'm not going to quote a verse and say, now here, let's show God we trust Him. That's not what's going on here. Okay? So if you're there already, let me tell you that I was there first, and that's not where we're going. But what we are saying is you won't be able to see the provision. This is what the story is telling us. You will not see. Remember, this message is about when you can't see your way forward. You won't be able to see your way forward until you do what he says. So, don't be surprised when you need a miracle that God invites you to take the risk of faith. There's a message in here. And God invites us to take the risk of faith through generosity. So, it's not what you do with a million, if riches were ever your lot, it's what are you doing at present with the dollar and quarter you've got. Am I willing to say, Lord, you are my provider And time out here again, if you're needing a resource miracle, do not be surprised if the step of faith that God is challenging you to take is to put your resources in his hands. Remember the little boy with the lunch that wound up feeding 5,000 people? What is God asking you to do? Now, and then see what happens. Now, if that story bothers you, this one will be even more troubling. So, heads up. The wife of a well-to-do and generous man. And this couple is practiced in generosity. What the first woman was being challenged to do, this couple does as a matter of practice. And they're very wealthy. Perhaps because they had practiced faith and generosity when they didn't see how it was going to work. But now they've got it made looking, you know, for other people looking at them from the outside. They've got it made. And they, they live on a path where Elisha, double portion Elijah's spirit, regularly walks. And whenever he passes by, the woman always invites him in to have dinner or have something to eat, you know. And so one day, she, they're generous and she's hospitable. Remember? Come on in. Yeah, we got plenty. There's your seat. One day she says to her husband, I know this man who often comes our way as a holy man of God. So let's make a small room on the roof and put a bed and table, a chair, and a lamp for him. And he can stay there whenever he comes by. Listen, they're so well off, they're just going to do a little building project because she has a great idea for taking care of the passing traveler. But they do it. Generous, hospitable. They've got the resources. They do it. Elisha stays, and he enjoys it to the point that he has his servant Gehazi ask the Shunammite woman, is there anything we can do for you? And volunteers to uh, set them up with some of the connections that he has with the king. And she essentially says, no, we're known around here already. You know, we don't need anything. And so the servant, his servant Elisha, tells him, well, the woman has no son. And uh, her husband is old, and there have been fertility problems. And the prospect's not looking good. You know, you can't always tell by looking the heartache that might be lurking just below the surface. Sometimes we look at others and we think, oh, they've just got everything. And that wasn't the case here. So, you know what? Elisha calls her in and he tells her, next year, about this time, you're going to be holding a son in your arms. Now, you might expect her to get all excited about that, but you know what she does? She objects. No! 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 It's like, don't mislead your servant, oh man of God, he's touched a nerve. Talk about something going on that he can't see. He's touched a nerve. I mean, it was like, wow, this would just be so good if it happened that if it didn't, it would be much worse to bear. My dad, who suffered tremendous disappointment in this life repeatedly, he told me one time, if you don't get your hopes up, then you won't be just so disappointed when they don't come true. And yet she indeed became pregnant. And just as Elisha said, the next year, about that time, gave birth to a son. You know, one of the things that affluent people know that the rest of us don't, what money can't do. (laughs) And I think, you know, what it couldn't do would solve her problem. And so what are we supposed to see? Well, here, God would provide what affluence couldn't buy. A dream that she thought was just gone forever—it's now coming true in her life. And that little boy was born, and he grew up like bright sunshine in every day of her life until the day when he was out with his father in the field, and he started complaining to his dad about his head. Oh, my head, my head, my head! And dad told him that told a worker that he needed to come and and take uh, take carry him to his mother, which he did. His mother was holding him from that morning until noon when he passed. Wait, what? What kind of story is this? I thought God gave him that that son. And he passed. And she took him up and she laid him on the bed that was in the room that the prophet stayed in when he visited. And then she shut the door and she went out The story goes on to tell us that she got a donkey ready and she was going to get on that donkey to ride out and go to the prophet. And her husband said, why? Why are you going to the prophet? I mean, there's no religious reason. It's uh, It's not a religious holiday. And she offers no reason. She offers no complaint. She simply says, everything's all right. And then she heads off to Elisha's. He sees her coming, and uh, in the distance, he sends Gehazi out running to her to find out what's going on, if, you know, if everything's okay. And she tells his servant, oh, everything's all right. But when she gets to Elisha, she just collapses in a heap and grabs his feet. And, uh, and then, you know, she, he sees suddenly she's in bitter distress, and the Lord hasn't given him a heads up. He doesn't know what's going on. But then the entire volcano just erupts and explodes of grief and anger and hurt and spews out on Elisha. Did I ask you for a son? Didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? Elisha tells his servant to get to the boy as soon as possible. He takes off. He tells him what to do. Servant gets there, he tries everything the prophet told him, it doesn't work. Elisha and the Shunammite woman are following as quickly as they could on his heels. When he gets there, the boy is lying dead in the room where Elisha stays. Verse 33, he went in, he shut the door on the two of them and then prayed to the Lord. He got on the bed. He he lay on the boy as he stretched himself out upon him. The boy's body grew warm. And then Elisha, Elisha got up and he walked the room again and, 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 and then stretched himself out upon him again. And the boy sneezed seven times and then opened his eyes. And he brought the Shunammite woman back in and said, take your son. What, kind of, what a story. What is that, what story? I mean, here's a woman, she needed a miracle. Everybody looked at her, thought she had everything. She needed a miracle that she couldn't buy. And she didn't see how it could possibly happen. Because what was really, really good has come suddenly really, really bad. And her pain and her hurt and her disappointment are so deep. Deep with God, who gave and now has taken Deep with Elisha, who didn't have a clue as to what was going on, and deep pain going on here. Couldn't see the way forward, could she? And she shows us, what do you do when you find yourself in a situation like that and you just can't see your way forward? You know what she does? She starts where she is. She uses what she has. She seeks God's wisdom, and then she does what he says. What if you did that with what you're facing? You know what, because when you just can't see your way, you can still trust God and live by faith, not sight. I think that's the bottom line of both of these stories. And yet, we're not quite done yet, because it's curious to me, you know, why does she tell her husband, oh, everything's all right? Why does she tell Gehazi, Elisha's servant, everything's all right? Why does she do that? Because obviously it, it wasn't all right. You don't disagree with me there, right? And then when, when we see that when she gets to the prophet, it wasn't all right. You ever found yourself in a situation where you thought, well, why waste words when it seems like they're not really listening? And They can't do anything to change my situation. I wonder if that's what's happening here. You don't really see them caring. You don't really see them making a difference anyway. I wonder if that's what she's doing. And she doesn't even tell her husband. Why not? Well, this thought came to me. You'll have to check me on it. Because both of these stories, this is a story about an absent father. Actually, both of these stories are about absent fathers. One is absent by death. The other is absent by choice. Am I right? What happens to a family when the father's absent? When he's not there. So maybe I just put that on pause for a second and say, guys, that's not what we want, is it? What we want is to be the kind of men who decide that we're going to be there for the people in our lives that need us. We're going to be there for our wives. We're going to be there for our kids. Where We want to be the kind of place where our women feel like they could share their pain and not just cloak it over and say, oh, everything's all right. No, we're going to be the kind of men that they can go to and they can bring their pain and they could be heard. Like, we're going to listen to what they say. We want to be those kind of men, right? We want to be the kind of men where the other priorities of life that are legitimate, like life and work and success and even our own pain... When we're in pain, where that doesn't get in the way of our love for God or our love for our most precious loved ones. But we show up. We show up, we step up, we step into the gap. We we want to be the kind of men that just like lead the way and take the next step toward God in the middle of our problems when our kids have needs when our children are hurting, when, when they make mistakes, when, when they go astray, that they could count on us to show the way, that's what we want, right? The kind of men who know how to get in a room and shut the door with God and stay in there until he opens the door. But we don't see those men in these stories, the kind of men who don't leave it to the women to do the work of faith. Cheryl Crow sings a song, it's kind of a rebellious lament. Are you strong enough to be my man? I don't think she's the only woman who's ever wondered that. This story is known as the Shunammite woman. What about the Shunammite man? That's what I'm wondering. How did she get the headline? I mean, what, what, if the Shunammite man were here, I would kind of want to ask him, where were you the day your son died? What's he going to say at work? But I had one of my employees take him to his mother. Did you notice when his wife comes back later and says she's going to go see the prophet? Her husband doesn't even say, Well, how's Junior? How's his head? Doesn't even mention him. Doesn't mention his pain. What if he had said, what if he had said this? Where were you when your son died? I'll tell you, I was holding his hand. He was out in the field with me. We were on the work together. And then he said his head started hurting. And I said, well, where does it hurt, son? And then he said, I it's getting worse, Dad. So I picked him up and I carried him back to the house. And then my wife came down and we talked about it. We did everything we knew to do to see that he was taken care of as best we could. And I was holding him when I felt his body go limp. And then I had this thought. You know that prophet, the prophet who God used to give him to us, maybe he could use him to bring him back. So then I saddled up my horse, and I rode full gallop as fast as I could 20 miles to Mount Carmel where Elisha lives. And I got that prophet on my horse, and I brought him right back to my house. And when we got there, we went into that little room, and there was my wife, my awesome wife, and she is praying, 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 praying. And we went in the room together, Elisha, me, she, he was there, he was there because Azai was there. We were in the room together, and Elisha shut the door. And I'll tell you, if I wasn't there, I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you this, but I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. I couldn't believe it. But I saw him start praying for my boy and start laying himself like a covering from God over the top of my son's body. And then after a while, I started watching him, him warm up, and then, then he got up, he walked around the room again, and he laid himself back down like a thermal blanket. He had my son covered. And, and then, oh, my soul, I heard him sneeze seven times. It's like music to my ears. I never heard a more beautiful sound. Seven times. I, 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 I counted them. I, God blessed them. God bless you, 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 you, son. And then what happened? Well, then he opened his eyes, and he looked at me, and he saw us. And then we hugged, and it was strong, and it was long, because I wanted him to know, I'm not letting you go, son. Only thing is, no, don't clap. It didn't happen like that. That's not the story, is it? Only Elisha and the boy were in the room. And when Elisha opened the door, the Shunammite woman came in and got her son and went out. I'm still wondering, where's dad? He's still out working? Did he not see her come back? Did he not see ruckus going on? Where's dad? Still at work. See, I'm telling you, there's so much more here than you can see, isn't there? This message is when, when you can't see your way forward. There's so much more going on here than we can see. This is just like our lives, isn't it? There's so much more going on in our lives than anybody can see. They look at us on the outside and say, oh, they must have it made. No, you don't know what's happening on the inside. God does. You wanna, is God trying to take you somewhere that you can't see yet? So much here. Are you willing today to let Jesus show you something maybe you're not seeing? Beyond the blind spots in your life. And can I tell you, because some of us are already nervous about this, what's happening in your life isn't for everybody to see. That's why we got closed doors here. You notice that? Some of God's best work happens behind closed doors. He goes in and he shuts the door. <laughs> and some of God's best family work happens in private. Because what's happened in your heart and in your home is not for public display. That's what's going on here. God wants to close the door and say, I know you, I love you, I feel you're hurt, and I'm here for you. What if you were to ask Jesus right now, Lord, What am I not seeing that you want to show me? Fears of scarcity, I don't have enough. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Disappointment with God. I don't know if I can trust you. Some of my deepest pain is around what you let go away. Broken dreams, hopes dashed. What happens to a family when the father's absent? You see, some of us, that's not a hypothetical, and it's not about you. it's what you experienced. the absence of a loving strength in your father. What happens? The stories tell us your heavenly Father is not absent. He 's still providing, he 's still protecting, he 's still on site and uh, and is still wanting to open our eyes wider. You're wondering, well, can God be trusted? That's what I wonder. And the answer is yes. He sees you. He loves you. He knows you like nobody else does. He knows the pain that nobody else sees, and he wants to be present in it so that he can take you into beyond sight, into greater provision if we will seek him. If you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I believe this is a day for seeking. The past two Sundays, we have had very special visits from God, and we wanna pay attention <laughs> when Jesus says, bring it all to me and watch me work. So that's where I wanna to go today. What is Jesus saying to you? Ask him, don't ask me, ask him. But let me ask you this, what if he's saying, I, He's saying, start where you are. Where are you? Well, you're in a seat in a house of worship under the Word of God. Maybe you could start right where you are. Not where you want to be, <laughs> but right where you are. Could God say to you, right where you are, I know you, I feel you, I hear you, I love you, and then use what you have. What do you have? Well, you've got an altar for prayer. Prayer. You've got two legs that you could stand up and walk to the altar and then kneel in prayer and say, Heavenly Father, if you've got your eye on me, I wanna be there. If you're there for me, I wanna be there for you. You could start where you are, you could use what you have and you could seek God's wisdom. Don't lean into your own understanding. You could say, well, maybe the pastor's saying something that I'm supposed to be listening to today. But only you can do that. I can't do that. And then you could do what he says. You could actually do it. Faith without works is dead. But if you did what the Lord was telling you, then would the water flow from the pump? Then would the oil overflow the jar? Then would the new life breathe life once again? We won't know until you take the step Jesus is telling you to take. So that's probably pretty much all that I'm supposed to say today, except that as he's speaking to you, that his altar is open and that Jesus said, he that comes to me, I will never turn away. That Jesus said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So I want to invite you, whomever you are, as you have sensed the Spirit of God speaking to you about your life and your decision, to just come now. We're not even going to start singing. I I mean, just come now. Use your legs, start where you are, get up, and then come, and let's leave our burdens here and bring them all to Jesus and watch him work. Amen.